You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Uh, Kids, if you want to head on out with Suzanne and team right now, they'd be welcome to hang out with you. Thanks for being with us and blessing us in the service. We love having our kids in the service. Uh, Church, does your soul sing this morning? I felt the echoes of your words I'll talk in a minute. I uh, got a bit of a cold, as you can hear in my voice. But so as I was just silent listening to all of you sing, it filled my soul hearing your soul's thing. And so thank you for ministering to me this morning. Uh, in James, we read this. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us. From God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. We just sang songs of God, you are good, you are good. We sang of how great thou art. And that's so important to keep the magnificentness, the vastness of God and his goodness, which is at the core of his character in mind when we turn to something this morning. On the one hand, what we're going to look at is incredibly appropriate for summer, and on the other hand, it might not be a sermon you'd expect to hear in summer. So, Exodus 20. I wonder how many of us could recite the Ten Commandments from memory We're going to focus in on just one of them in verse 8. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One scholar claims that Sabbath is the most difficult and yet most urgent of the commands for our society. And I've been on a journey personally in my family for about the last three to four years of exploring and feeling the beckoning of a loving father into all that the ancient practice of Sabbath means. Now, if you hear about the idea of Sabbath, your immediate reaction might be that to setting aside an entire 24-hour period for rest, delight, and worship, your response might be, oh, I could never do that. Or maybe your immediate reaction to even the thought of turning off your phone and not being available and not knowing what's going on on social media. Not a chance. If that's your immediate reaction, if you feel any stiffening of resistance 
in yourself as I read Exodus 20, verse 8, then perhaps could we just consider for our time this morning that maybe something is out of alignment in our lives. A couple of months ago, I went to the chiropractor. For the very first time, I'll have you know. Now, I was sitting, confession, my apologies to any chiropractors in our community. I had a lean, and the lean was not from a bad back. The lean was of skepticism. But I went to the chiropractor, and oh, did it feel so good. The youthfulness returned, and I learned of just how small something being out of whack, something being out of alignment, how far-reaching the effects on our bodies could be and on my life. So let me make a couple of statements for you, a couple of questions for you. You know whenever you go to someone like a chiropractor, they have a list of questions, and you might answer the truth. You might kind of fudge it, especially when it comes to how much coffee you drink. But let me see if any of these ring true with you. Generally speaking, in our world today, people are too rushed, too hurried, too stressed, and just plain maxed out. Do you feel that today? Generally speaking, in society, we are living at a pace that is against the grain of how we were created to live. Do you feel that this morning? Generally speaking, people carry such an addiction to their work, whatever work may look like, that it puffs up their pride with every success and every rung they climb. Do you feel it this morning? Perhaps let me ask you this. Perhaps you've been on a vacation, and for the first half or number of days, you find yourself twitching just a little bit, and you're a little bit grumpy and a little bit on edge as you try to unplug from the daily pace you've been trying to maintain? Have you felt that before? Perhaps you found yourself coming to the end of a day or end of a long week, and once again, the allure of the Netflix binge is calling your name, and a few hours later, you awake from the stupor to realize that you are more tired than when you first began. Have you felt that? If any of these resonated even the slightest with you, if you've seen any of these to be true in the world around you, then can we all agree that there is something terribly out of alignment? And we cannot say that this is just a problem for people out there. If anything, those in the church might be the most at risk of living this pace. Like one author put it, we are a society of 24-7 multitasking in order to achieve, accomplish, perform, and possess. We are literally making ourselves sick with restlessness, restless, without rest. We are a people who have sadly neglected the gift that is rest. And what I want to suggest this morning is that a cure for this kind of soul-level misalignment can only be remedied in the ancient practice of Sabbath. Now, as I mentioned, and you can hear in my voice, I had a form of forced Sabbath this past week, uh, which was really ironic to come down with a cold coming off a of kid's day camp. There's nothing like being around 90 beautiful children. <laughs> Just lovely. That will bring on a cold that will wipe you off your feet and then in our Lord's goodness 
Anytime I felt the anxiety arising to be working on a talk on Sabbath, to hear him say the word, rest. And sometimes I'm wondering if you've ever had a cold, virus, injury, feel like an incredibly spiritual journey. I know it was for me this past week. My body was in deep need of Sabbath rest and loving communion with the Father. It was craving it. This is our deepest need. Now let me ask you a different kind of question. What would you do for 24 hours if the only criteria were to pursue your deepest joy? What would you do? What would you fill that day with? What would you inherently say no to? And what would you say yes to? Who would you spend it with? What would you eat? What would you drink? Your deepest delights. Now, I recognize when we talk about Sabbath in a room this size, uh, there's immediate speed bumps that we come across. And so there's a number of those that I want to try to scrape out of the way to best allow us to learn and listen to what Sabbath God might have for us through the practice of Sabbath. The first speed bump I think we need to answer is, is it a binding command? This is Exodus, Old Testament. Is this a binding command? And can I just say, I don't actually think that's the right question. When we talk with our youth about dating or sexuality, it's inevitable that someone will say, well, yeah, but how far is too far? How far can I really go? How close can I get to the not okay line? And I always try to help our youth. That's not the right question. God has so much more in store for us. His plan is about so much more than that. Not many of us go about our week boasting in how many lies we plan to tell or end the week full of pride of, look how much I managed to steal from the grocery stores. Look at the murders I've committed. No matter how dark you think society has gotten, there is still a level of rarity when it comes to boasting about breaking the Ten Commandments, with the exception of one. Think about it. We love to tell others how much we work. Oh, so busy. Schedule is just really full right now. Kids' activities got me running around everywhere. We are overwhelmed. We are exhausted from our labor, yet we admire busyness. We hold productivity as the pinnacle of success. We're driving ourselves crazy, and we know it. Can I suggest to you that in our day and age, No matter where you fall on the argument with the stacked theologians, whether this is a command for us today, that it is a cure for a misalignment and it's something we need urgently. Now, you may pick up on my cards. I land on the like 51, 52% towards it being a command. You can go on that journey for yourself and see where you fall. But even if you were to decide that it wasn't a binding command for our day, could you commit to listening with open mind and heart to how God might still want to use Sabbath to deepen your relationship with him? Because isn't that why we're all here? 
We want more of Jesus. We want to see him clearer. We want to walk closer with him. Second question. What about legalism? You can hardly talk about Sabbath without images being stirred up in the mind of starch shirts and wooden benches. I used to love reading Little House on the Prairie as a kid. And I think it was Farmer Boy who talked a couple of pages at length about what Sabbath Sunday was like in their home. And it was Father's watchful eyes making sure you weren't moving or having the slightest bit of fun on that day. Maybe that resonates with your experience. Maybe this resonates with the author Dan Allender in his book on Sabbath, when he says, I never thought of Sabbath as a thing of delight before. Never thought of it as a time for the soul to play and take its leisure Never before thought of it as a time of training for learning to walk again as once we did in familial communion with the Father. You see, Jesus was the one who actually walked this earth at the height of legalism, of legalistic rules around the Sabbath. And still, while shaking up the common thinking about Sabbath, He walked it out in his life, ingrained in the fabric of his very life. So let me paint this picture for you instead. Sabbath as holiday or vacation. I think if we approach Sabbath more like we do with the anticipation and planning and intentionality as we do a holiday or a vacation, then we would be a lot better off than with some of those stirred up ideas of legalism and questions of, is it a binding command? So my family, for the last two years, as soon as our kids get out of school, we head off and go down, we head just down Summerland Way uh, and go camping, usually with grandparents. That makes everything better. But here's what that week does for us. It sets us up to enjoy communion together all summer long. See, it puts us in holiday mode even when we return to our regular work and rhythms the week after. It sets us up to enjoy each other. It sets us up to have a little bit less structure to our summer. It sets us up to be a little more generous and a little more quick to say yes to the kids, to that ice cream treat or to knocking off work early and meeting at the beach. It sets us up for a summer of vacationing rather than just the days we actually have off from vacation. I think it would be helpful if we approach the topic of Sabbath a little more like we do vacations than might we be immediately conjured up when we think of Sabbath. Now I want to take you on a dive into the story of Israel this morning to see two things about Sabbath. First is that Sabbath is an act of resistance, and the second is that Sabbath is a great gift. Sabbath as resistance, a scholar named Walter Brueggemann has a fantastic book by that title, Sabbath as Resistance. Uh, I borrowed heavily from it. I recommend there's a lot more in it. Uh, You can grab that wherever you buy your books. It'd be a fantastic summer read. 
But let's look at the Sabbath command found in Exodus 20 in its larger context of the whole of the Ten Commandments. So verse 2 of chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This God made himself known to the new formed people of Israel through his redemptive work in bringing them out of slavery. This was who they knew this God to be. And then it goes on, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I think it's fair to assume that the other gods in mind are the gods of the land they've left, the Egyptian gods, and the gods of the land they're about to enter. So what do we know about the gods of Egypt? Who was God in Egypt? It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was God in Egypt, and Pharaoh was a ruthless God who demanded endless production and who set in motion and authorized systems that propitiated insatiable production. Think about it. Make more bricks and get your own straw to make the bricks so that I can build bigger storehouses to collect more grain and have even greater surplus. It's a system that will steamroll anybody who gets in its way, and especially the lowest on the totem pole, the Hebrew slave. In this system, there can be no Sabbath rest. Pharaoh's not resting. He's anxious presence. He's worried about his wealth and who might be coming after him. There's no rest for the supervisors and taskmasters, and definitely no rest for the slaves. Into this system of hopeless weariness erupts the God of the burning bush. This God has heard the despairing fatigue of the slaves and resolved to liberate them so that Miriam and the other women can sing and dance. And then we see the Ten Commandments come along, and they're how this new society is to order itself, how they are to function, for there is no longer a pharaoh dictating their every step. And we see right off the bat that this God is unlike all the gods the Israelites have known beforehand. This God is not to be confused with or thought parallel to the gods of productivity and success. This God is a God of mercy, steadfast love, faithfulness. This is a God committed to a covenantal relationship of fidelity. It's about relationship and not what you can produce. It's a word we need to hear today. And we see in the command of Sabbath, that even this God will model it for himself, that he has the capacity, the willingness to rest. Can you imagine living under Pharaoh your whole entire life without knowing what rest could look like and then coming to know this rescuing, liberating God and this God rests? This God, Yahweh, is not a workaholic. He is not an anxious presence. And if Yahweh is a Sabbath-keeping God, does it not follow that restfulness and not restlessness 
ought to be at the center of all of our lives. Oh, but I'm not sure that it always is. The conclusion we can draw then is that wherever Yahweh governs as an alternative to Pharaoh, there the restfulness of Yahweh effectively counters the restless anxiety of Pharaoh. In our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of great resistance. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality. See, Sabbath is not just a 24-hour period that allows us to succumb to the rat race of production and success the other six days of the week. Rather, we are meant to function from a level of soul realignment that rests all the days of the week. And in that, I see such a great gift that we can actually remove ourselves from the pedestal of indispensability of thinking too lofty of ourselves and say, God, you are God. I will rest, I will trust. In Exodus 20, I love how they're called to remember the Sabbath. They're not introduced to Sabbath. Sabbath was there in Genesis 2. It was built into the very fabric of the rhythms of life from the very beginning. And in this remember language, it makes me think of the Lord's Supper and how we're called to remember Christ's death and resurrection. And in the same way, we practice Sabbath. We remember when we as mankind walked in the garden with God and we look forward to eternity when we will do so again. We resist and we accept the gift. Listen to the words of Dan Allender again in this quote. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended it, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. It's a good gift. Resistance gift. So all that is a little up there. We are talking about a 24-hour period. What do we actually refrain from, and what do we do on Sabbath? Well, there's four words or meanings that arise when one seeks to interpret, interpret the Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat. Stop, rest, delight, worship. You may be familiar with the name John Mark Comer. He's a pastor down in the States, and uh, he leads an organization called Practicing the Way. They've done fantastic work. There's whole podcasts you can listen to. I'm seeking to summarize a little bit of that for you in these four words. And they're the four things that I want to walk through in our remaining time together that I think will help 
build into a Sabbath practice. Stop. It's the most concrete of the four. It's probably the one we think of quickest when we think of what needs to go into a Sabbath day. What are you going to stop doing, refrain from doing? It's all about being intentional and drawing penciled boundaries around what for you and your family will look like work. I say penciled because they need to be firm, but you also need to reflect on them after each stumbled attempt at Sabbath and probably redraw them. You might go through seasons, often the spending of money comes up at Sabbath. You might go through seasons where you decide not to spend any money. But can I also just say that going to the coffee shop for a latte and a donut might be the exact same thing your family needs in order to delight on the Sabbath. But can I suggest when it comes to technology that you draw some really firm lines? My family doesn't always get this right, but Alicia and I, we've done seasons of turning off our devices for 24 hours. And it is the most incredible, eye-opening experience to do. Stopping is all about trust. We see it in Scripture. On the sixth day, collect twice the amount of manna, for on the seventh there will be none to collect. Our culture 24-7 tells us we are what we produce, and underneath this is the question, does your life really have any value? Sabbath stands in direct opposition to this and says, I am enough, I have enough because of Christ. I love that in Jewish thought, the day begins at night and the Sabbath begins at night, at the start of the day. Because then each day and each Sabbath begins with sleep. Is there a better non-anxious activity, a restful trust than sleeping? God, you've got me. You've got my family. I will rest. That's stop. Rest. Shabbat, most commonly translated as rest. Now, uh, we might think of nap on a good couch, perhaps in the sunshine, uh, but this goes to a whole nother level. So we've already talked about we're going to rest from work. We're going to stop things that feel like work, paid or unpaid. But what about resting from thinking about work? What about resting from wanting and worrying? That's stopping and resting on a whole other level than what comes to mind, like napping on a couch. This is the kind of rest that fills your bucket more than any nap will. We've all woken up from the nap and felt worse than when we went to sleep. But we've also tasted of going to bed at the end of a day tired and full. That's what rest is. The third is delight. Sabbath isn't just about what we don't do, it's about what we do. Dallas Willard said that God is the most joy-filled being in the universe. When you spend time with someone who's joy-filled, what happens? It rubs off on you. You become more joy-filled. 
So if we're going to set aside a day to spend time in communion with the Father, it's going to be joy-filled. And I love the picture of Genesis 2 of it's not God resting because he's out of energy. (laughs) He's not exhausted himself in the creation task. Rather, the lawn is mown, the cool of the evening has come, he's sitting on the deck delighting in what is before him. So build delight into the Sabbath. It's not about doing merely what feels good. It's not about filling your day with mindless entertainment. Rather, it's asking what might you enjoy doing? What might make you laugh that you could do in union with God? Try things. Reflect on it. Hopefully you're getting the idea that there's no perfect one cookie cutter size fits all. It's a stumbling attempt towards a Sabbath practice. Last thing I want to see on delight is that delight is incredibly communal. There is a flowing over that's meant to happen when you are joy-filled. See, we think of Sabbath, and we probably think of, oh, if my spouse would just let me have a day in a cabin somewhere without the kids, that would be Sabbath. (laughs) That's not a biblical image of Sabbath. It's done together in community. Delight is meant to be shared with others. And the fourth is worship. And the other thing I want you to understand is that while Sunday is probably the best day to have a Sabbath practice, not for all, going to church does not check the box of Sabbath keeping. It's a great part of the day, But to go on with your day and to go out for lunch and then to mow the lawn or watch football, that's a North American Sabbath, not a biblical Sabbath. That's not the practice God had in mind when he prescribed Sabbath. So worship. It might mean turning on a worship CD. It might not. But what would it look like for you to set aside a day to fix your thoughts more on Jesus. Set aside as special. Some of you in your household have very fine china. My grandparents were like this. They collected their sets and they had um, cabinets, hutches, plural, (laughs) many of them. (laughs) And we rarely saw the dishes, except if you would look in the glass door. Rarely were we allowed to use them, but some of them we would get to use at Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter. Like in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, there were dishes, pots, pans set aside for worship to the Lord. Why pots, pans? (laughs) It's a good pot or it burns things. How can it be set aside as holy? But there's a set-asideness. Sabbath is a day to be set aside just like that fine china for a special purpose, for worship of God. It's a different day. A space to do things differently. A day to explore the question, what do I really value in life? 
What am I worshiping seven days of the week? Because that's the goal, isn't it? Seven days from a soul realigned place of Sabbath, that it wouldn't just be a we live our lives and then we Sabbath, but that Sabbath would actually shift how we live the rest of our lives. We've talked about Sabbath as resistance, Sabbath as a gift. We've covered the four words that you can think about to build into your Sabbath day, stopping, resting, delighting, worship. I want to leave you with two pictures of Sabbath. A good number of years ago, when I was uh, much younger than I am now, uh, I was working at Coquitlam Alliance Church with Dr. Mark Francisco. He's now retired. Uh, And he leads trips to Israel and their incredible rabbinical walking, hiking trips. And Mark, in my second year of college, came to me and he said, Chris, there's three things you got to do to be alive. You got to eat, breathe, and go to Israel. You're coming with me. Yes, sir. Does my job depend on it? I'm not sure at this point. Uh, But I was so excited to go, and it radically changed my life and how I view the Bible. But the pinnacle of the entire trip was a day spent in a gorgeous hotel in a Jewish kibbutz, a commune of sorts. And we were there for Sabbath. And I wish I had a video of the synagogue service that everyone in the village made their way to to usher in the Sabbath. You would have thought the Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup. (laughs) The joyous celebration. And then we made our way back to the hotel dining room and they had transformed it into tables pushed together and family groups all around us who had traveled to see each other. And you would have thought that this was a special Sabbath above any Sabbaths. But no, it wasn't. It was just Sabbath. But that's what made it so special. And I I don't remember how many courses. All I remember is the stuffed feeling as they just kept passing food after food after food played around and the wine flowed and the conversation was rich and tables would burst out into singing choruses. And we had no idea what they were singing, but it just filled the room and surrounded us. And then the best part was the kids. Like, I remember running around with my plethora of cousins at Christmas dinners. See, because in Jewish tradition, there are many rules. And one of them, you can't work. And so that apparently connects to you can't push the elevator button. And so the elevator is programmed to stop at every floor. Put yourself in the mind of a kid. (laughs) What kind of fun could you get into with that? Kids spent the evening going floor to floor to floor to pop out of the elevator and announce and declare that it was the Sabbath day and then back into the elevator to do it all over again. There was so much joy. It rocked my vision of what Sabbath was. Fast forward a good number of years to just before COVID hit, and I was working down the road at another church, and a new pastor there, Josh, he's spoken here before, uh, invited my family over for a Sabbath meal on a Friday night. They Sabbath Friday, Saturday during the day till Saturday evening, because that works well as a pastor. Um, Yeah. 
And we were keen to know what this looked like. We had heard Josh and his wife Beth talk about Sabbath and how they were trying to work it into the fabric of their family. And so we were super keen. They got three kids. We got two. What does this look like? We can't go live as monks for a day. And so we arrive in their tiny, squished basement suite, and the, the wine is already poured, and the bread has been baked that day, and it smells delicious. And the kids are playing, and the Sabbath meal of bread and cheese and meats was prepared, simple yet beautiful. Everyone was call, called from their various corners of the basement to come to the table. And two candles were lit, both to observe and remember and to welcome in Sabbath peace to that home and its guests. We sung a song that my family's adopted that goes, Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace, and then you say each person's name around the table. So Shabbat Shalom, Chris, Shabbat Shalom, Alicia, all the way around the table. As you say, you are seen, you are welcome here. Sabbath peace be upon you. And the feasting began with thick slices of bread and slabs of butter laden with cheese and meats. And we talked about our week and how we were thankful and how we saw the Lord working. And we took great comfort knowing as they shared that sometimes they just grip a little tighter to the wine glasses and do a little less celebrating because the kids are running crazy. But still they stumble towards a Sabbath practice. Like that vacation week at the start of our summer, that Sabbath meal radically changed our weekend because we woke up the next day with a new lens through which to see the day. And that really sparked the journey for us there with the Rain family of trying to figure out what Sabbath could look like as a family, and oh, it is a wrestle. Some weeks we do it well, others we don't, but the Sabbath meal is really the anchor that launches us into our day of rest. Two radically different Sabbath experiences, Israel and Kelowna, yet not so different. Stop, rest, delight, worship. It's in both of them. It's okay to have different Sabbath experiences but oh, I believe we need it with urgency today. And so you see, Sabbath looks a whole lot less like the, star, the stiff iron clothes sitting on a wooden bench unmoving without joy and a whole lot more like vacation. But what about those of us disappointed by vacation? We've all gone on vacation and like biting into the cotton candy, it evaporates and just leaves you sticky. And you just, you don't want to return to your regular rhythm, and it's not because it was great. The kids were fighting. The car broke down. The flights were missed. It poured rain on the tent. Holidays don't go as planned. And let me just say, the similarities break down. There is so much more promise in Sabbath than there is in vacation. If you are looking to a vacation this summer to meet that deep level, that felt need of life is going too fast, I'm living at a pace that I cannot sustain, 
vacation will only help for a little while. You need to consider a Sabbath practice. Really, the question is, do you want more of Jesus? Do you want to step into the path that Jesus has already trod for us? Put another way, what do you desire in life at your deepest level? Because if you desire to be made more into the image of the Father, if you desire to become a person of love in Jesus, then you must wrestle with what do we do with the faith formation practice of Sabbath. So can I encourage you to try it? If you don't already, start with a meal, and then it's up to you from there. Pencil out a plan, set aside a day, try it, reflect, and most importantly, try it again. Because the practice of Sabbath is by far one of the most counter-cultural in our day. So at first, it's going to feel like you're swimming upstream or even fighting a spiritual battle. That's normal. Just keep at it. Until you feel a shift in the current and it's moving you toward rest. Soul level rest. Realignment with our Heavenly Father. Oh Lord, would you lead us into this? Lord, I know I have felt it in my own life of just how much I crave Sabbath. How much I need that Sabbath peace in my life, God. And I need to return to a regular practice of it, God. And I see it when I look at the faces in front of me. Oh God, would we not just leave this as an Old Testament command, but would we wrestle it out into our very lives today? You are a good, good father who longs to give us every good gift, and one of those gifts is Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen.